Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher for MLB.com, joined here by MLB.com national content editor, Matt Myers. It is our first show of 2021. We're going to catch up on some of the interesting moves the Padres made over the break. We're going to talk about a very cool new StatCast tool that's been posted at BaseballSavant.com and talk about if the Braves are somehow being underrated. Then we're going to get into some questions about the soft-tossing Cubs rotation and a couple of free agents that you should know about. Matt, welcome back to 2021. I don't know about you, but every time a baseball season ends, I am, you know, I'm sad to see the season go, but I'm also like, okay, cool. I can catch up on some sleep and watch some movies with my wife and, you know, just not spend all of my time watching baseball. And I think that works for me for like two months. And now I'm ready for baseball to come back. And obviously there's a lot of uncertainty in the world, but the latest reports are that things will start on or near to on time. And that excites me. Like I'm, I'm ready. I don't know about you. I don't know if you need more time, but for me, if there was baseball on like tomorrow, I think I'd be really happy about that. I agree. I'm ready, but I'm also, you know, the other thing is that there's so many good and interesting free agents still out there that I'm like in a weird way, like I'm kind of glad it's kind of lasted long because it gives us a little more time for like when these, these guys eventually do sign and, you know, eventually George Springer and Trevor Bauer and Marcelo Zuna and DJ LeMahieu are going to sign. But like the longer it goes, it's like then we'll have like things to dissect and discuss um, as we get closer to the season. So I kind of like that some of the suspense has been um, suspended, so to speak, and that we'll kind of have like a whole new crop of things to talk about um, in the coming weeks. I was I was actually thinking about that. There's I don't know the exact number, but a hundred and something unsigned free agents. And if those guys are all going to get jobs before spring training starts, which they're not probably, but still that would require like three a day to sign. And I don't think that's the pace we'll really see, but I do think that we're going to start hopefully seeing not just activity, but maybe some wild activity. But over the holiday break, excuse me, we did see uh, two of the, I don't know, largest trades and a big signing by the Padres. So as everybody knows by now, the Padres traded for Hugh Darvish and Victor Caratini from the Cubs. They traded for Blake Snell from the Rays. They signed Korean infielder Haseon Kim. They kind of did all that, maybe not officially, but it was it was you know sourced and announced in like seventy two hours. And what was interesting to me is that before they did any of that, I thought the Padres were the second best team in baseball. Now that also makes them the second best team in their own division because the Dodgers are really good. But if you look at the Padres last year, they had the third most wins. Uh, they had the second most position player wins above replacement, the fifth most pitching wins above replacement. They stole the most bases. They scored the third most runs. And there was a lot of cool improvement where they they really like cut their chase rate by a lot, by more than any team from the year before. And so, like I said, I already thought they were really, really good. And now they're better, obviously, you know, adding two, whether you call them aces or strong number twos or whatever to that rotation. And so it's interesting if you look at the projections now, if you look at Steamer, which is uh, what Fangraphs relies on, they are basically tied in wins above replacement, the Dodgers and Padres. You know, it's fractions of a decimal point, call it a tie. There's another projection system. Our friend Dan Zimborski runs it, and it's called Zips, and he reran it after all these trades, and it came out to a tie. Each team is projected for 98 wins in the division. Uh, Arizona 77, San Francisco 72, Colorado at 64. And I'm going to quote from Dan now. 196 wins, that's the 98 from each Dodgers and Padres, are the most Zips has ever projected for the two teams in a division. You combine that with the closeness of the projections, because you need a decimal point to separate the two teams in the standings, 
And I don't think it's a stretch to say that this is the best divisional race Zips has ever projected going on two decades of prognostications. And that is really high praise. And yet I don't think Dan's wrong. Like I completely buy into that. I, I think if I had to pick, I'd probably still pick the Dodgers, but without a ton of confidence. Like these are essentially, you know, I mean, they are the two best teams in baseball and I don't see a great deal of difference between them yet. Yeah, I, mean, I think the the main reason I picked the Dodgers is that I think that like they'll still probably going to go out and do something big. They still like don't really have a third baseman at this moment. Um, it could be Justin Turner. It could be DJ LeMahieu, which would definitely um, swing the projections <laughs> back in the um, in the in the uh, in the Dodgers' favor. So I think that that's like, but like I, I'm with you. I mean, this is really close, and the the Padres are really dynamic. Like their their outfield is a little blah, especially like there's not a ton of depth there. Um, depending on what you think of you know Tommy Pham, who kind of looks like who knows really what to expect of him. I'm not sure if there's like I'm not, I'm not exactly bullish on his future, um, but their infield is stacked and their pitching staff has a huge ceiling. Obviously, there's some question marks around Denilson LeMay, who, LeMay, who LeMay, is it LeMay or LeMay? It's LeMay? Okay. Harty. Harty, I apologize. Um, LeMay, who got hurt down the stretch last year, and it's kind of unclear what they're going to be able to get from him this year. But even that's what's like they've set themselves up in such a way that, like, you know, Darvish and Snell are set. And they still have Paddock, who's fine. And then there's a bunch of like young arms kind of waiting in the wings that, like, even with like Lamette maybe not giving them all they hope for and Clevenger missing Mike Clevenger missing the season recovering from Tommy John surgery, they're like their their pitching staff should be very good. And in twenty twenty two it should be insane. With Clevenger coming back and another year of progress from Mackenzie Gore, uh, Adrian Morhone, you know, anybody else they can come up with. I, I agree with you, um, especially on what you said about the Dodgers, because they haven't done that much, right? They actually just yesterday re-signed Blake Trinan, who was you know, pretty good for them. And you know, they bring him back. They had traded for Corey Knable, uh, who had been good in the past, although he's been injured. They do not have a third baseman right now. Turner's a free agent. Kike Hernandez, Pedro Baez, Jock Peterson are all free agents. They have done almost nothing so far. And I don't think anyone believes that's the way that that it will stand. One of the things that really stood out to me about these projections, though, at least the um, the Zips one, is that they are really, really high on Haseon Kim. And I, I found that interesting because if you'd read the scouting reports, they were kind of a little bit all over the place. Like he was very, very good in Korea. And you would hear, well, you know, he's got some power in his bat and maybe the defense is a little light for a shortstop. He'll probably end up playing some second base, which is I think where he'll be for San Diego. Um, but the Zips projections have him as a four-win player for each of the next four years. And the way that works is, is two wins is a league average player, and four is like kind of an all-star. And you know, north of that, you get to like the very, very good player range. And that implies that you know he's not just going to be an average player right away, he's going to be a star right away. I'm not sure I totally buy into that, although Dan does very good work. But it was interesting to me because I wanted to know, like, let's say that that happens, you know, who who has been in history the best Korean-born position player. And so I looked up all the seasons from Korean-born players by wins above replacement, and I should have known the answer because uh, one man monopolizes seven of the eight top seasons. That would be Shin Soo Chu, who I guess is not technically retired, uh, maybe still active, although he's unsigned. He had... He'd still put up, he'd still put up a 360 OBP. Yeah, absolutely. His DH. I wouldn't want him in the outfield, right? Um, but yeah. he's you know had about three seasons above four wins, uh, but that's really it. You know, Jungle Gong had one good season for the Pirates. And right now, I guess G-Man Choi uh, would be the next contender. But it is possible that Haseon Kim could end up being the second best Korean-born position player 
behind you. I mean, he could be the best. I don't really want to project anybody for, you know, a seven win season. But if that's true, what that really does is it gives the Padres so much flexibility because Jake Cronenworth, I'm not sure what to make of him, kind of came out of nowhere and had a great first six weeks and then, you know, tailed off a little bit, but he's got a lot of positional flexibility. So what they've done is they've given themselves what you might say is a nice problem to have, which is too many talented position players, you know? And I actually think you undersold maybe Chris Paddock a little bit. Like I'm still in on Paddock. I know he didn't have a great year, but it's kind of funny to think that he was the opening day starter this year and is probably going to be the number four starter next year. And isn't that a nice problem to have? Yeah, I think in that context, I'm with you. Um, I enjoy watching him pitch. He's got like a, a cool a cool pitch mix. And, you know, when you're, when he's situated as like your number three or number four starter, that's different than when you're sort of relying on him to be a race. So the way that the, 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 the Padres pitchers line up now, I think that like it's a it's a good spot to be, to be in. And as you, you mentioned, Cronenworth, he's now more of a depth piece now. I saw someone mention, I can't remember where I read it, so I forget who I'm going to credit, suggested Jackie Bradley Jr. as a fit here in San Diego, which would allow to move because their, their outfield depth is really light. It would allow Trent Grisham to maybe move to a corner. As you know, as I said before, Tommy Pham, a little, some questions about, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's going on his age 33 season, I believe. Um, so I think that could be an interesting fit. The one thing I want to mention about the Padres and also the Dodgers is, you know, that the, the Padres have obviously, you know, made a lot of big moves uh, the last few years, big free agent deals, big trades. Um, and the Dodgers are sort of known for always, um, you know, being big spenders, but both these clubs like long-term, like they're, you, when you look at sort of their payroll situations, they're not really, you know, that onerous. They have that quote unquote, you know, flexibility. Obviously, I mean, with the Dodgers, they could lose Corey Seager after the season. He's going to be a free agent. So that's kind of like a question for them that looms over everything. Um, but they'll be in position to, if they don't, you know, sign him, you know, maybe sign one of the other free agents that's on the market. Same thing like with the Padres, like, yes, you know, that Hosmer deal was a big deal. But now when you look at it, especially since like, it was actually front loaded. You know, at the end of the deal, he's making the last couple of years, he's making $13 million a year um, or 13 plus uh, for 23, 24, 25. So like, yeah, it's a long contract, but like at that point, it's pretty modest by today's standards. Um, Will Myers has a club option for 2023. And so like by the time some of their like young guys, like obviously Fernando Tatis starting to hit arbitration and, and, and you know, um, get bigger salary numbers, there's some there's some flexibility there that I think will allow the Padres to make some other big moves to go toe-to-toe with the Dodgers because they've shown a willingness to do that. What I kind of want to do, and I guess this would be pretty easy to look up, is to find the best second-place teams in recent history. Like if we think the Padres are the second-best team in baseball and maybe also the second-best team in their own division, I mean, that's you know good for them for not waiting for the Dodgers to falter because that's probably not going to happen anytime soon. But I think it's there's probably a way to quantify like the, the best – divisional races in terms of of talent and i have to imagine that these two teams are at or near the top of that um but quickly before we move on this is not great news for the rest of the west you know <laughs> like i mean the rockies we've talked about a lot and they were already in trouble and this does not help at all i, re- I really like what the giants are doing like i think they've made a lot of strides but i also don't think they're going to be very good this year and i'm not sure what to make of the diamondbacks because the first year of that Bumgarner contract did not go very well so, I mean, what do you do if you're the other three teams? I know they're in very different situations. Because when I look at, say, the Rockies, I hate to ever say, oh, you know, take a step back. Don't try to win. Don't, you know, trade your best players. But I also don't know what else they do right now. Yeah, I think, I think I, I'm, 
<laughs> that, that was sort of my first thought when this happened this week is, you know, on this, on this podcast, we always have to, it all comes back to the Rockies. Oh, I got um, more. There's more Rockies coming later. Don't you worry. Oh, that's a good news. It's like, I mean, it's going to, it could very well be a disaster this year for them. And like, I'm with you. I, I hate to be like, oh, just don't try. But I actually think that like, we've, you know, I think we talked about this on a previous podcast where it's like, actually, they really should be trying to trade Trevor Story if they're not going to resign yes. to a long-term deal. Because like they, they, they they're they're not going to compete this year. I hate to sort I hate to do that, but like they're no not going to compete. No shot. And this really could be a way to maybe jumpstart a little bit of of a rebuild. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a slog for them. They're in a tough spot. Um, but otherwise, they're just. I mean, they're gonna ha- they're gonna basically keep Story, Arenado, and Blackman around. Great, they'll put up good stats and they'll win sixty five games. I maybe. I personally cannot wait to watch. Dodger versus Padres games this year. There's going to be a lot of late nights in my future, I think, because how could I not watch Dodgers versus Padres? All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk about the weirdest thing about the Cubs. There are a lot of weird things, but I think this one's particularly weird. You're listening to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast with Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. Matt, as everybody on Earth knows, the Cubs traded away you Darvish and... I think it goes without saying it was not a terribly popular deal. We can get into that in a second. But here's something I wanted to to talk about. So they traded Darvish, and one of the guys they got back in the deal was Zach Davies, who's you know been a pretty competent major league pitcher. But they traded away their hardest throwing starting pitcher in, in terms of whenever I, I talk about velocity here, I'm talking about just fastballs, you know, four seamers, two seamers, and sinkers. And that stood out to me because I had remembered from something I was looking up um, a couple of weeks ago. The Cubs in 2020 already had the softest throwing velocity in their rotation in baseball. So last year, they averaged 90.5 miles per hour. That was 30th of 30 teams and by kind of a decent gap. Like The next slowest team was Seattle at 91.2 at the top, Dodgers and Reds at 94.7. And when you look at all the guys for the Cubs who have thrown a pitch, uh, who threw a pitch as a starter this last year, two of their three hardest throwers are gone. Darvish is gone. He averaged 95.6. And Tyler Chatwood is a free agent who averaged 94-2. Also, Colin Ray just got released to go to Japan at 92-5. Quintana is a free agent. 
and John Lester's a free agent. So right now, if you look at the top three of their rotation, the fastball velocity would go like this. Kyle Hendricks, 87.3, Alec Mills, 89.9, and Zach Davies, 88.4. I'm going to take this opportunity to say, bring back John Lester. Come on, cowards, bring him back. Just do it. Because in a game that is increasingly dominated by velocity, just like, you know, driveline and everybody like them trying their best to throw as hard as they possibly can. The Cubs are going to have like a 90 mile an hour starting rotation. I get it. Velocity is not everything. Kyle Hendricks is very good, right? Um, but wow, this is just the the opposite of everybody else in baseball, intentionally or not. I want, I want to say it's good to zag when everybody else is zigging. But also, I think if there are fans in the bleachers at Wrigley, they might have a lot to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had not noticed it until you you mentioned it to me before the podcast. And it's kind of amazing. You know, I guess, you know, soft tossers are the new market inefficiency or something, you know, yada, yada, yada. But um, I don't really know what to make of the Cubs. Um, our friend Will Leach is working on a piece for the website saying that making the case that the Cubs could still be considered the favorites in that division, which I guess you probably could make the case when you look at, you know, as, a, as just a quick and dirty look, when you look at like the the Fangraphs um, projection, war projections, they're basically neck and neck with the with the um, Cardinals and Brewers. Although the, the Fangraphs has the Cardinals and Brewers slightly ahead of the Cubs, um, but it's. Um, I guess they might go at another starter that maybe will 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 you know maybe get them up and take a velocity, but um, it's, it's this is not we haven't seen many um any many rotations like this in in recent years, have we? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to find out. I wanted to know how far do they have to go to be the the slowest tossing rotation on record, and so on record is back to 2008, and that's how far the data goes back here. And so I went back and I looked this morning. There have been 11 different rotations since 2008 that have averaged 90 miles an hour or below. Now, as you might expect, a lot of them came with caveats, right? Three of them had R.A. Dickey, who's a knuckleballer, which seems a little unfair to even include here. Two of them, uh, the uh, the 2008 Phillies and the 2009 Phillies, had mid-40s Jamie Moyer, uh, mid-40s being his age, not his velocity, although I suppose it could be easily confused, who was throwing 81 miles an hour at that point. You have uh, like the 2008 Padres who had you know, ancient Greg Maddox, who's throwing 84, and Chris Young, new Rangers general manager, Chris Young, throwing 88. Uh, there are, the lowest is 88.7 by those 2008 Phillies, uh, you know, led by Jamie Moyer. Now, the 2008 Phillies were pretty good, right? They went to the World Series. Or was that the next year? I can't remember. But they, they, won it, they won in 2008 and yeah. lost it in, the, in 2009. That's what it was. So there's that. Obviously, the world has changed a lot in the last 13 years. But I, I want to know, you know, can the Cubs get down below 88.7? I think if you sign Lester, that would help because he would throw a lot of innings. I'm trying to think. I should have looked this up. Like, who is the softest tossing remaining starting pitcher? You know, like, I, I don't think the Cubs are going to go sign Trevor Bauer anyway. I guess Tanaka, Wainwright. Wainwright doesn't throw that hard anymore. That would be a good one. Um, you know, Rich Hill is out there. They could do this. They could do none, it. None, none of these teams on your list from 2000, since 2008 have gone below 88 miles an hour. So every one of these teams has been thrown hard enough to power the flux capacitor. We will see. <laughs> That's right. We will see if the, the Cubs can fall below that threshold. Uh, that is what I'm going to uh, look forward to the most, by the way, is just every time they sign a pitcher, 
I'm going to look up his velocity and then try to plug it into this. And, you know, before we move on from the Cubs, we should know really quick in what has otherwise been a dreadful offseason for them, for Cubs fans, like an extra kick in the pants is not only having your beloved TV broadcaster leave, but leave for the Crosstown rival to do radio, which is what Len Casper did. Uh, they they uh, made a great acquisition. They signed our mutual friend, Boog Shambi, to do TV. And, you know, Boog's a friend of ours. He is one of, if not the best play-by-play men in baseball. That's that is cool. Like I'm so happy for him and for Cubs fans because he does such a good job. And you know, it's not going to be probably the best season in Cubs history. But what I really like about Boog is, uh, you know, after all these years, he he loves baseball. You know, he still does, and I think that's going to come through. So it's it's very cool to me, and I'm I'm happy for him. The next item we are going to go to is there is a brand new tool out on Baseball Savant. And uh, this gets a little wonky, so we'll kind of do this from a high level here, but there's a whole article on the site and a whole tool you can dig into that is pretty cool. And what this tool allows you to do is you can track for any pitcher and any pitch type the exact direction the ball spins. And I'm going to explain why that is important. For many years, you couldn't really measure that. The technology wouldn't allow it. So you could sort of imply it based on like the movement of a curveball. You could kind of guess as to how it probably spun in what direction. Well, now, as of this last year, because uh, the, the new Hawkeye technology is what fuels StatCast, you can measure it directly. And that kind of opens the door to some really cool stuff. Um, for example, like I wrote this around Shane Bieber, who, you know, is, I'm going to say, the best starter in baseball. You know, you could argue for DeGrom still, but, you know, either way, Bieber is obviously very, very good. And he doesn't throw, like, top-end velocity. Obviously, like, you know, 94, 95 is not bad, but he's not out there throwing 100. And one of the things he does is his fastball has like perfect mirror spin with his curveball. And what that means is that they spin in exactly opposite directions, which makes it really, really difficult to tell which one is which until the last second. And what I'm hoping this is going to do for people now that the data is all out there is maybe we can come up with a a better like, you know, deception metric or, you know, improve like, you know, pitch tunneling metrics and all this kind of stuff, because this is what pitchers are using in their bullpens with Rep Soto and Adertronic and all that. To, to try to get better. I mean, this is what Rich Hill has been talking about for years, that he wants his fastball and his curveball to have opposite spin. You know, we've got minor leaguers talking about not just total spin rate, but spin direction. And this tool, I think, is really going to help people figure that out and maybe maybe help explain why some of these pitchers are too good, uh, are, are still good. As I was saying on Twitter this morning, this sport is like 200 years old, and we are still learning you know, insane stuff about it. So, Matt, I don't know if you had a chance to, to look at the tool. I know you read the article, but um, I do think it's pretty cool. I think people will get a lot out of it. Well, and to your point, that the, the, the what you mentioned, it's like it's a good way. Like sometimes there are pitchers, and Bieber is kind of a good example, though. It's not like he has bad stuff, but it's like it's not obvious compared to some other pitchers of like why he's so dominant. So it's it's when you it's kind of when you peel back the onion, you sort of see like, oh, here's like something that we weren't previously able to measure that we can now see and like, okay, now this kind of gets to a little bit of what makes him special. I'm reminded of when we first started, you know, first had stat cast, we we're sort of trying to figure things out. There was one pitcher who was really interesting. It was Marco Estrada, who was a guy who like had some success despite, you know, being some of the Cubs would probably sign this year, throwing fastballs. <laughs> they, still the can. they still can. <laughs> and like, I think, I think he said it himself that like basically, or I, I remember it was a batter and then maybe we, someone asked him about it where basically a batter said like, it's like a bowling ball because no, no, it no. looks. That was, that was me. He, I asked him. It was you. Yeah. He, you he said that to me in the locker room at the all-star game in 2016. And what he said was, um, I've noticed that my ball looks like a cue ball. 
right? Like the, the spin is so perfect and other guys that throw harder, it's like wobbly and you can see the spin more. Uh, and he assumed, and I think correctly, that that sort of went to deception. So how could a guy throwing 90, you know, still get outs because it was difficult for the batter to pick up what kind of pitch it was. Exactly. So there you go. Um, it was you after all. And so this, I mean, this is, this is basically that, right? It's basically showing that like for a lot of pitchers, if they have like two, two pitches where the spin looks exactly the same or is exactly opposite, you can create a level of deception that we've never really thought about before, or at least we've thought about, but never been able to sort of, um, accurately measure, at least not publicly. I'm sure this is the kind, this is the kind of thing that like clubs have probably been doing for a couple of years that like, and now we're, we're finally able to, to put out to the, to the masses. Yeah. And it, it's cool. I liked it a lot for changeups because, you know, what is a changeup supposed to do? It's not necessarily about raw movement on the changeup so much as it is. It works off the four seam fastball usually. So if you imagine these things as a clock face, uh, which is how it's presented on the site, you know, like Lucas Giolito is someone with a very good changeup and you know, the spin on his fastball is, is like 1130, you know, where 12 is straight up and six is straight down. And the changeup is about the same. And that's, you know, maybe going to help us figure out a little bit about why he's so successful without like the most elite movement on his changeup because the spin is so similar. Uh, but then you also have Devin, Devin Williams of Milwaukee who throws a changeup that is not really a changeup, but that's what he calls it. It's the airbender. And, you know, the spin on that is nowhere near the fastball spin because he's, he's not trying to use it to play off of anything. He's using it as its own out pitch. So I, I think that's cool. And um, hopefully this opens up the door to a lot of cool stuff. And that is all out there right now. So please go check it out. There's an article on MLB.com. The data is all at BaseballSavant.com. Our third thing, and I always like topics I can come up with because people on Twitter complain about them to me. Are the Braves underrated? Now, you might think that's a silly question because they are the three-time defending National League East champs. And the reason I ask this is because... Recently, I went and I looked at all of the 2021 Fangraphs wins above replacement projections for the teams. And, you know, as you'd expect, the Dodgers and Padres are at the top and a lot of the weaker teams are at the bottom. Not surprising. And the Braves weren't rated that high. You know, they're 12th best behind the Mets, A's and Blue Jays. And Braves fans, I think, were, were pretty unhappy about that. And I agree with them to some extent. I actually do think the Braves are being underrated a little bit. Part of it is I think people get confused about how projections work. Like, yes, the Mets were in last place last year, but that, that doesn't matter, right? Like projections are looking forward. So Marcelo Zuna is not a brave right now. You know, Marcus Stroman, who didn't pitch at all for the Mets last year, is included. James McCann, who wasn't on the Mets last year, is included. So it's not just trying to recite what happened last year. And uh, I, I think that's part of it. I also think people maybe underrate how weak the Atlanta outfield is. Obviously, Ronald Acuna is phenomenal right? But Adam Duvall is a free agent. Ozuna's a free agent. Nick Markakis is a free agent. Acuna might be the only reliable Braves outfielder because Ender and Ciarte hasn't hit over the last couple of years, hasn't stayed healthy. Kristen Pache, I think, is going to be one of, if not the best defensive outfielders in baseball. But there's considerable concern about whether he's going to hit. I mean, even in the minors, he had a 330 on base uh, and a 400 slugging. So I think it's both. I think they are underrated. And I also think that the projections are showing some, some clear signs of weakness. I mean, yeah, the, I mean, Marcelo Zuno was really, really good for them last year. And like, that can't really be undersold here. Um, and so like, he's not on the team right now and he's probably not coming back. So that's a big hole to fill. I mean, if there, when I look at the like landscape of like free agents who are out there, I mean, it seems to me that like, Michael Brantley to Atlanta is like an absolutely perfect fit for the reasons you mentioned. Their outfield depth is weak. They're a pretty right-handed heavy lineup. 
So adding like our good left-handed hitter um, could really balance that out a little bit. Um, and so there's there's the, the 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 outfield is definitely weak, and the, the starting rotation is really promising and deep. And they added Charlie Morton, which is exciting. But some of you know Mike Soroka was hurt last year. I think Ian Anderson, like as good as he looked in the playoffs, like the the indicators aren't such that like he's going to be an ace. He might he might he might be. But right now, they're not to the point where you think like, oh, this guy is obviously going to be an ace. Um, and Kyle Wright was sort of superficially good last year at the peripherals. We're actually, I think, pretty bad. So um, I, I'm, I'm with you. If, if I had to predict, I'd still probably um, – so sort of what I was saying about the Dodgers. Like I'm expecting them to do some things that could like change the landscape. So I'm not um, – um, I'd, I'd expect them to um, – I'd probably expect them to go into the year as the favorites. But I can see why the projections at this moment are a little – a little skeptical. Yeah, exactly. And, and what you kind of mentioned about the rotation there. So Ian Anderson came up. He was fantastic. Seven earned runs in six regular season st- games started. And that certainly gives me a lot more confidence about his future. He's not going to do that. Like he is going to be worse than that. If Even if not by much, but in some way worse. Soroka, we don't know how he's going to come back from the injury. And while I really liked the Drew Smiley signing, because I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there, over the last five years, he's got a 525 ERA. So while I, I think I see the upside in all of these guys, it's not surprising to me at all that the projections are are concerned about all of them. But I do agree with you. I think if the season were to start today, I'd probably pick the Braves to win the, the fourth straight NL East, although, you know, it doesn't start today. We know the Mets are going to do something, we hope. Uh, presumably the other teams will also. But yeah, I, I get it. I'm kind of in the middle. So 12th best in war ratings. No, maybe I have them as like the, I don't know, seventh best team in baseball sixth or seventh something like that which i guess is uh maybe enough to satisfy braves fans but again we have to see what else is going to happen for the rest of the winter we will take one more quick break we'll come back with a couple of free agents that we should be thinking more about and finish off with our purpose pitches This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Each week we like to each pick a free agent that we should be thinking more about. And what is working in our favor? There are still so many free agents. There are no shortage of guys for us to look at. The one I'm going to point to is Jock Peterson. I feel like Jock Peterson doesn't get enough love. Maybe that's because he just hit 190 this past year. It wasn't a great year for him. Hit 190, 285, 397. That is an 84 OPS plus where 100 is league average. That's obviously not very good. Now, it should be pointed out 
that in addition to this being a weird and bizarre season for everybody, it was especially so for him. He missed some time on the family medical list as uh, there were some complications with the birth of a new child. As far as I'm aware, everybody's good and healthy, so that's great. And I'm not going to put too much into that number. He turns 29 in April, and over the five previous seasons from 2015 to 2019, he crushed the ball. All right, a 479 slugging, uh, 119 OPS. So for five years, he's 20% above league average. And if you can find the right role for him, and by right role, I do mean never, ever, ever let him face a left-handed pitcher ever, he's going to be pretty useful, right? If you were to look at his career splits, he's got a 576 OPS plus OPS against lefties uh, and an 849 against righties. In fact, if you were to look at the previous five seasons against righties among all players who had at least a thousand plate appearances against righties, he was the 26th best hitter in baseball. He was similar to Mookie Betts and, and Max Muncy and Matt Chapman and David Peralta. He's a capable outfielder. I wouldn't say he's a strong outfielder, but he's, he's solid-ish. He's fine. You put him in a corner. I really wanted the White Sox to go for him instead of Adam Eaton. But really, if you're looking for a guy in a platoon situation who can crush right-handed pitching, and there are more righties and lefties, I don't think we talk enough about Jock Peterson. I'm a big fan of Jock Peterson. I'm with you, um, especially in such a matchup-centric world. You can hide him. The Dodgers found ways to hide him for years. He barely played against lefties. Um, and uh, he will be um, – I think we, we talked about it a few a few episodes ago, kind of comparing him to, to Kyle Schwarber. They're, they're kind of similar. I'd rather have Peterson because he's a better outfielder. Um, uh, but obviously, Schwarber gets a lot more a lot more hype. Um, my guy is actually uh, is still pretty high profile, but I still feel like maybe we're not talking about him enough, is Masahiro Tanaka. Um Partially because I think that like over the years, he's been just good where like he when he when he kind of came over, there was a ton of hype that he was going to be this this big ace. And he had a couple of like better years in the last few last few seasons. He's just kind of like settled into like an innings eater. But in my opinion, right now, we're like, I don't feel like innings eaters have ever been like more valuable than they are right now because it's really hard to get decent innings as we saw last year. And this year is going to be the same challenge. Pitchers, pitchers who pitchers who we don't know what they'll be able to give us in terms of innings and they're coming off a year in which they threw like 40 50 innings tops so it's going to be hard to expect anyone to be able to go and throw you know 150 let alone 200 innings but of the free agent pitchers um that are still available only two of them have thrown more innings over the last three years than Masahiro Tanaka one of whom is Trevor Bauer who's going to be a lot more expensive and one of them is Rick Porcello Porcello who's terrible <laughs> So if you're looking for reliable innings, you've got Tanaka, whose walk rate has been below 6% in every year of his career. Basically, he's always in the top 10% of the league. Um, there's always, there was always these concerns like, oh, his, his elbow is on the, on, the, on the verge of, you know, of, of snapping. He's going to need TJ at some point. Well, we're now in like year seven of his career. And in full seasons, he's basically consistently been like 170 to 180 inning pitcher. Um, I think it's pretty valuable. Um, and I think someone is like, going to do well by bringing Tanaka in and, and what will almost certainly not be like a a extremely um, uh, onerous contract. Last year, he threw uh, an average of 92.3 miles an hour, so he throws too hard for the Cubs. I, I'm in agreement with you on this. I did see your report, and I'm not sure how much to put into this, that he might only want to return to the Yankees or go home. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but also the Yankees obviously have a need for a starting pitcher, and he's certainly proven he can pitch in Yankee Stadium in New York, and that, that fit there just seems too obvious. And I think you're right. Like for a guy who is as accomplished as Tanaka has been, we really have not heard much about him at all. So I, I think that's a good one. We're going to finish off with our purpose pitch, which is where Matt and I each pick something to rant about. And rant usually means something 
negative or angsty. I'm going to start the new year off with a positive one because I thought this was kind of fun. There was a fan on Twitter whose name was John, who actually emailed the owner of the Colorado Rockies, Dick Montfort, with some questions about the team. And to the credit of Dick Montfort, he replied. He replied to a fan's question via email. I think that's super cool. Like we've seen Steve Cohen get all sorts of accolades for being, you know, open on social media. Um, so good for Dick Mott for, for, for doing that as well. And, you know, there are a whole bunch of things about the team. I don't agree with all of them, but here's the one that really stood out to me. He starts off the email by saying, uh, you're in luck. Not only am I answering, but next year we will have a new uniform. So stay tuned for that. And that is super exciting to me. If you were to think about the four 1990s expansion teams, uh, the other three, the Rays and the Marlins and the Diamondbacks have all changed their looks like considerably, right? Not just like upgrades, but colors. They're all very, very different. Whereas the Rockies have had this, you know, kind of classic, timeless, uh, you know, silver and black and white and a little bit of purple uniform. And it's classy, but I've always found it a little bit, uh, you know, it doesn't pop so much on TV because when they're not wearing the purple alternates, it actually just looks like the White Sox to the point that when I said that on Twitter, a White Sox blogger sent me uh, screenshots of Eloy Jimenez's home white White Sox jersey next to Nolan Arenado's home white Rockies jersey. And if you can't see the color of the pinstripes, they're completely indistinguishable. So here's what I want. I want, first of all, I'm excited about this. I think this is going to be great. I want more purple. That's that's the problem. You need to be able to know, like, we are the purple team. Nobody needs more red and blue. I know, like, the old Colorado Rockies hockey team did this. We Never again do we need another red and blue team. One concept I saw that was very cool. It was sent. Uh, it wasn't done by by uh, my friend Jeff here. This is Jeff Long of Baseball Perspectives who found this and, and passed it along. It, somebody did a concept where instead of purple pinstripes, what they had was uh, a topographic map. So like the pinstripes are kind of moving. If you've ever seen like a, a mountainous map to show like the height, and they're actually labeled like five two eighty. It's kind of insane, but I, I want that. I want something that is is cool and unique and really shows off the purple because you know the rockies are let's say an outlier amongst all of baseball teams and i feel like they should look that way too i'm in more purple maybe purple pants let's see it whoa okay wait let's not go nuts here (laughs) um my closing rant has to do with the hall of fame balloting process and this time of year we get the sort of slow trickle like a six week long slow trickle of voters revealing their ballots and we have um ryan thibodeau who um tracks them and counts them and has them publicly available so you can sort of see how um how how the 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 candidates are tracking relative to their totals of previous years, how many ballots are outstanding, how many ballots they need to be on in order to get to the 75% threshold. He does amazing work. It's very cool. That said, <clears throat> I really wish Hall of Fame ballots weren't revealed in advance. I think it just like removes any suspense from the proceedings. Like, can you imagine a world in which like the Academy Awards like slowly just like announced the votes as they came in for Best Picture? So you like kind of knew basically who was going to win weeks in advance. No, you would be laughed out of the room if you suggested that. So this like has removed, for starters, it has removed any suspense from the proceedings. I mean, like, I guess there is some suspense in that like, hey, like Kurt Schilling is like close to 75%. Like, will he get in or won't he? But like, we'd still have that same suspense, even if this, in fact, it would just be heightened if we had no idea what his total was. And like, wouldn't it also be exciting if like, you know, on the day of the ballot, it's revealed that like, whoa, like Scott Rowland 
and and Todd Helton had huge jumps in the votes. That's awesome. Looks like these guys are going to get in. Like, awesome. Great, great for those guys, which is what looks like happening. But like, there's going to be no suspense around it. It's like we're kind of watching it happen slowly. So like any of like that excitement has just kind of dwindled. And I also think that like by doing it this way, it has made the process so much more about the voters than about the players. Because you end up having like a lot of columnists like or voters write pieces about like, oh, I struggled with my ballot. And then it just becomes this whole like debate about them and their morals and like, oh, what should they have done? Um, It's just I just I I don't really like it. I think it's kind of it's really soured among for many reasons. But it's one of probably the biggest reasons that I've kind of gotten a little just bored of the Hall of Fame debate because like. Before this process existed, we still had Hall of Fame debates. Like the, the, it's not like this is the reason we have Hall of, Hall of Fame debates. Like no, Hall of Fame debates have been around forever. I think that this has just kind of like muddled the process for me. You could not sound like more of a cranky old man right now. I have to say. All right, well, let, me, there- let me ask you this: In a couple but, of years, um, presumably you and I will both have Hall of Fame votes. Will you make yours public before the ballot, or will you hide it? I would. I would. I would. I would wait. Um, but that's just me. Well, I don't think it's just you. I, I think others do that as well. Um, I no, guess I'm saying I, just like, I, I mean, like, I guess, I, and, and I mean, maybe if, like it's, if it's one ballot, I guess it's not a big deal if you reveal in advance, but I just, I think, I, I wish there was a rule that you couldn't reveal. I wish they said, don't, do not reveal in advance. They, like they do with MVP and Cy Young, where it's like, don't reveal, reveal it afterwards. Then we can have the conversation, have the conversation afterwards. But in advance, like, let's try and queue up the suspense. Yeah, that's fair. I'm not sure I totally agree. I, I, I sympathize about some of the frustrations with the process, although I think a lot of that is about, you know, everyone coming to terms with the fact that a lot of these guys weren't necessarily the best people off the field and, you know, how to handle that. And I guess you're right that if we did reveal it all at once, it would be a lot more uh, impactful rather than this slow drip. But then on the other hand, we've had almost nothing happen this winter and now you want to take away the one thing that's been mildly interesting. So I I refute that for you, but I'll take it. It's supposed to be a purpose pitch and that one was high and tight. So respect for that. That is our show for this week. This is the MLB.com ballpark dimensions podcast. Thanks for listening.